0: Are the beatitudes still relevant today well if we study and we apply them i guarantee they will change our lives stay right there my guest and i will be talking about the beatitudes for both hours today so stick around hello friends welcome to open line with dr michael redelnik this is moody radio's bible study across america my name is Michael Reitelnik, I'm the academic dean, and I'm a professor of Jewish Studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. Normally, we take your calls, but today is different. It's a pre-recorded program, so please don't call, you won't get anyone. Uh, but nevertheless, we're really glad you're listening. And normally, though we take your calls, you can also send your question in to OpenLine if you can't call. And so what I'd suggest you do, if you have a question that you'd like answered, you can go to our website, OpenLineRadio.org. That's the OpenLine website, openlineradio.org. And you'll see a link there that says, Ask Michael a Question. Click on that, and you'll be able to fill out the form and send your question, in. I guarantee it will be added to the mailbag, and we'll get to it at a future mailbag on one of our later programs. But now what I'd like to do is introduce my guest. His name is Chris Costaldo. And he is the pastor, senior pastor, lead pastor of New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois. He's got a PhD from the London School of Theology. That's pretty impressive, Chris. And uh, But when I think of Chris, I think of my former student from a long time ago, when I was a fairly new professor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Chris, uh, when did you graduate from Moody? I graduated in 99. 99? Yeah. Wow. So that was probably you were a student in the mid-90s. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Because Chris, I'll tell you the little-known fact about Chris Costaldo. My son had his bar mitzvah. We went back to New York. And uh, Chris is from the Holy Land as much as I am. He's from New York, the New York metropolitan area. And so we went back to New York for my son's messianic bar mitzvah, and Chris was home for break. And came to my son's bar mitzvah. Was that your only messianic bar mitzvah, Chris? It was. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was pretty fun. Yeah.
1: Marvelous time.
0: Yeah. And uh, you... now I I know that I, we have a long term relationship. I think in terms of Angie went to Israel. Your wife Angie went to Israel with me back in '97. Uh yes. And what's what's up in terms of your relationship with her? Uh, Did I have any role in that? Well, I I think I did.
1: I came to you for advice. Ah. Should I propose to Angela Bixby? Because I came from New York. She was from this area. It was like Joey Bag of Donuts meets Laura Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie. And I said, Michael, can this work? And you said, Chris, if you were my son, I would tell you, put a ring on her finger as fast as you can. I took your advice. Now, almost 24 years of marriage later and five children... I'm grateful. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm
0: I'm glad you listened. Cause she was a. a I, I looked at that student. I thought that's a gem. Uh, don't, don't miss that opportunity. So I'm really glad you did. And and I think if I remember, I right, I did the premarital counseling for you guys. Yes, didn't you did. I? Wow. So uh, it's working so far. It looks like 24 years. I'm grateful to God for that. So, Indeed. Yeah. Now uh, I've I've been at Chris's church, and it's a just a lovely church and wonderful people and uh, I've I've. I'm so grateful you've given me the privilege to speak there, and uh, it's been great.
1: Now, how long are you pastoring there? Nearly nine years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Naperville is a western suburb of Chicago, just mm-hmm. below Wheaton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call it the Achievatron. It's where you begin preparing your child for the SAT at age six. Yeah, you know it's very driven. Yeah, it's a very driven uh, area, but it's mm-hmm. it's a wonderful community.
0: Now, here's the thing: I think you have the credentials to be a professor. You. Actually, had a, a a chaplaincy kind of position at one of the major Christian colleges in the area, uh, and yet you you left that. Yeah. You, you you can you're maybe one day in the future you'll be back in academia, but you left that for the pastorate. I was w- always wondering why you did that. I mean, you're certainly qualified to be a professor, yeah. Uh, and so what's what's up with that? Why
1: do you want to be a pastor? The Lord made it clear to uh-huh. me: this is the calling to shepherd His people. To, to feed them, to preach God's Word. Uh, I had three years at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, and it was a great pleasure, during mm-hmm. which I did my research from England. But it was Chris in his windowless office, and <laughs> after the third year, I said, okay, it's time to get back into the church. Yeah,
0: well, that's that just seems like it makes sense to me. I, I know that sense, you know, when I was in seminary, I was always headed for academia. And I was an exegesis of Matthew, and we were in Matthew nine, and uh, Harold Honer was my professor, and he taught about uh, the sheep without a shepherd, how Jesus felt compassion for them, and I was in an internship and in counseling at the seminary, and w- a woman came in who had lost her baby. We had a new baby at the time, and how people were telling her, "You can, you can have another baby, th- just get over it," mm. and my heart went out to her i wasn't doing much of the talking because i was with a professor who was a professor of counseling and i was sit, just sitting in mainly that was my internship maybe said a little word or two but my heart just broke for her and the, the combination of talking to that woman and that class i went home and told Eva, but i want to go into the pastorate god's calling me and she was like oh i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> Right. I'm not prepared to be a pastor's wife, but she was a fantastic, uh, l- well, because she's just a terrific m- person in ministry. She was great in the, in the pastoral wife role. And uh, so I did that for 16 years, you know, <laughs> but that was it. Yeah. Uh, the same thing, I, I sensed God's call. Right. Yeah. It's the heartbeat. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad you're there. It makes sense. Well, let's talk about your book. Uh, that's what we want to talk about today, The Upside-Down Kingdom. Uh, and this is wisdom for life from the Beatitudes. Now, what I, I what I have to do uh, is, this is my job. You can help me. We've got to mention the name of this book seven times. I read a study where it says that if you're going to uh, talk about a book, you have to mention it seven times so that people will know what the book title is. It's gonna they'll have a hard time writing Castaldo, Chris Castaldo, but it's the Upside Down Kingdom. From the Beatitudes, wisdom for life. From the Beatitudes, and that's two times. That's seven. two. Okay, good. So, so, okay, so now the Beatitudes are the first twelve verses of Matthew five. Yep, it's the beginning, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Obviously, you could you've preached many things, you've taught many things. Why did this become the subject of study? That why do you think this is so important?
1: Yeah, it came out of. My pastoral ministry, these last three years have been difficult for pastors. Mm -hmm. We realize that. Someone has said, pastoral ministry is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. (laughs) And (laughs) and the absorption rate has been rather thin the last few years. So I found myself in a place of discouragement, wondering what does faithfulness look like in Mm -hmm. this season of life? And I read the Beatitudes, and in them I found the solvent for my fear Mm. and apprehension, so that became a preaching series, and in due course, it became a manuscript.
0: So you started by studying it for yourself, mm-hmm. then you preached it, which is, by the way, that's, I think, the best sermons, in my opinion, when we study something for ourselves and then God pours his heart and message and his ideas from Scripture through us. We share our lives with our congregation. You know, I think that's what Peter Marshall said that uh, it's God's word poured through a uh, a person, mm-hmm. that's what a sermon is, and uh, and our experience. And then now you want to share it with the wider world with this book, so, yeah. which is called The Upside-Down Kingdom by Chris Costaldo. Okay, so that's three times. Now, uh, w- tell me how it was... I mean, just let's talk overall before we t- we're we going to dive down and look at each of the the Beatitudes. There's eight of them. How is it, though, that the overall study impacted your life? How did it affect your life?
1: Yeah. They're, they're thoroughly counterintuitive. That is, it's the last thing in the world you would expect. Um, in this world, we want to succeed in strength. We want to dominate. And what Jesus gives, there, gives us there is a vision that is precisely the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's the kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies, and then brings forth fruit. Um, and so I the more I've studied the Beatitudes, I think this is the passage of Scripture we need now in this cultural moment. Um, it's, it's been pointed out that during the 16th century, in the face of clericalism and legalism, God used the letters of, of Romans and Galatians to bring gospel renewal. Um, that was the means by which God liberated His people. Today, I think we need the Sermon on the Mount more than ever. I think it liberates us from the outrage, mm-hmm. you know, so often oh, just, so much we Right. Know. pull the, the pin on the rhetorical hand grenade and we lob it over the fence. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we realize the meekness, the poverty of spirit, the peacemaking of mm-hmm. which Jesus speaks? The Beatitudes provide that instruction.
0: You know, one of the things I noticed about the teaching of Jesus across the board is he keeps using what I call fabulous realities, mm-hmm. you know, the last shall be first, mm-hmm. that's counterintuitive. Uh, there's so much in Jesus' teaching that is counterintuitive, and you're right. He, he piles them up right there in the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, as we get back. I want to get down into the nitty-gritty, uh, and uh, when we do that, we'll, we'll look at what each one means and how, how to apply it. And so don't miss out. This is a life-changing program today. Chris Castaldo and I are going to be working our way through the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, and I am convinced as we study it, our lives will be changed. So stay with us, we're coming right back with more on the Beatitudes. The whole Bible tells one big story. It begins in a garden, ends in a city, and all the way through it points to the Messiah Jesus. Understanding the Bible as a unified whole helps us understand it much better. And that's precisely why I'd like to share with you Ten Keys for Unlocking the Bible by Colin Smith. We'll send you a copy with your gift of any amount to Openline just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122 or visit openlineradio.org. Welcome back to this special edition of Open Line. It's special because we're not going to take your calls today. Uh, it's not that we don't want them. It's just a pre-recorded program. And instead, I have a special guest, Chris Castaldo. He's written a book. It's called "The Upside Down Kingdom," and the subtitle is "Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes." Chris is a pastor in the western suburbs of Chicago, lead pastor of New Covenant Church, and uh, actually. A dear friend of mine. So, you know, that's how you get on the program, Chris. You got to be. No, that's not really true, but I'm really glad that you're here. Chris is with me. He and his wife, I've been friends with them for more than 25 years, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm grateful. And, and by the way, your son is a student at Moody now. Two sons. Two of them. Two yeah. of them right here. Uh, I know the older one better, and uh, he's. He just is always chatting me up. I don't know what the deal is with him. He, he's very friendly, and I love him. And it's just great to see him. And uh, he's he leads worship in chapel and does stuff like that. It's he loves great. being at Moody. Yeah, I'm grateful. He's having a great experience here, and and he he always lets me know. So anyway, uh, hey, let's uh, let's dive right into the Beatitudes. Okay, uh, they all start with the word blessed. Now the version I use doesn't start with the word blessed every one of them it says it gives the characteristic and then said for ex- like the first one the poor in spirit are blessed mm-hmm. but usually it's translated blessed are the poor in spirit that's how the ESV does it and it says it over and over eight times or at least uh, blessed are this blessed are those right mm-hmm.
1: what does this mean yeah. So Jesus is preaching the kingdom in Mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 3. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he goes up on a mountain beside the Sea of Galilee, and he begins to teach his disciples and and others who gather around what this kingdom is like. Here's what it looks like to have the heart of God, to live in a way that is consonant with God's priorities, to be one who has God's favor. I think that's the essential idea Mm -hmm. of blessed, makarios in Greek. To be a recipient of God's favor, and in that relationship, to manifest His heart, mm-hmm. His virtue, and so Jesus is describing the various virtues that belong to a man or a woman who is in Messiah Jesus. So now the the idea
0: of blessedness, makarios is the Greek word. It's rooted in the Hebrew word. Uh, that, you know because every Greek word has a, a septuagint, which is the Greek translation. And of the Old Testament, and then the Old Testament, you can look back and say, okay, this is how the Old Testament word in Hebrew was what, what that was, and then how it was translated into Greek. So I know it's related to ashray, yeah. which literally is, oh, the happinesses of. And it's not talking about happiness in the sense of, oh, I've, I'm so happy today, I, I got to eat out, or something like that, you know. It's... Oh, the intrinsic joy that comes from God and being part of His kingdom. Yes,
1: and some translators render it "happy." Augustine' uh, translation of Augustine w- will be rendered that way. Yeah, and it's it's what you're describing—to to see God through eyes of faith and to be so consumed with His loving presence—that's the idea of being yeah. blessed. Yeah, it's
0: it's a, an intrinsic joy that comes from our relationship with God. Yeah, that's that's what I. It's it's not passing happiness, you know. I've, I'm so happy. I have a great schedule. Students will say, "Yeah, that's going to pass." Uh, once you get the assignments, look at the syllabus. Forget that. And then there are other things that people make people happy, but this is happiness that doesn't go away. This is intrinsic joy, and it's rooted, as you say, about our relationship with God and His kingdom. Uh, you know, I always like to think of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't. You can disagree with me. But this is how we are to live, and this is the introduction to it, Uh, as kingdom citizens. We are already kingdom citizens. We're awaiting that kingdom to come to earth, but this is how we live now. There are some people who want to say that this is truth for the future and not for today. No, this is the truth for today and how we live as we await the return of Jesus and when he establishes his kingdom in full on earth, but right now... That kingdom of God, we're part of
1: it. Yeah, it's the Magna Carta of the kingdom, the rule of life mm-hmm. for, for Christian living. Yeah, and you're exactly right. It's concerned with the heart. Yeah, the the outward forms matter, but only in as much as they extend from a sincere, genuine heart. Yeah. for Christ.
0: Okay, so let's let's look at the very first of the Beatitudes. It's what it, this is what it says: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom of heaven is just a euphemism. Heaven is replaced, because it's a Matthew's very Jewish book, and so uh, Matthew, when he writes, he uses heaven for God. So kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing. Yes. Okay. So uh, what
1: does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit is to recognize you are bankrupt before God, left to your own devices, you bring nothing to the table, we're altogether desperate for his empowering grace, Mm -hmm. Um, which of course flies in the face of how we tend to think and live. I was recently in Italy this summer. I was in Florence, enjoyed seeing uh, the David, amazing piece of art. I was reminded it's 17 feet tall. Wow. The Italians call it il gigante, the the giant. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. When we create an image of David, we make him the giant. (laughs) It's supposed to be little David empowered by God who defeated the giant. Well, we make him. Uh, That's the human impulse. And, and I think this beatitude confronts us in our pride and knocks us down to size. Huh, yeah. P- uh, poverty of spirit is,
0: I, I think, is returning. I know the word for poverty was used of beggars, people who are so poor in spirit, now, or poor, that they, they were just beggars. They had nothing. And this is not talking, though, about material poverty. It's talking about spiritual poverty. Yes. That, that there's nothing within us as we stand before God. Right. Now, that is not how you know we want, want to approach people normally. We want to show how well we're doing,
1: right? You yeah. Know, we we uh, were talking earlier about Philippians 2. That's yeah. the idea. Have this attitude in yourself. Yeah, that was before also we went on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or yeah. taken advantage of. That's the trajectory.
0: Yeah, he didn't, it wasn't something literally to be grasped. He doesn't want to take advantage of his deity, but instead, uh, he didn't give it up, but he became a man and and operated with us as a man. So that is amazing, amazing in terms of that. But our poverty of spirit, you know, we, we just, uh, spiritually, we've got nothing except from him. That's
1: right. That's it. That's what it's saying. We're we're beggars. Yeah. Some some have people have described it as a dominion of dependence. We only exercise the authority of God in as much as we follow the suffering servant. Yeah. And emulate his weakness. Yeah. That's
0: it. But then uh, this is what this says: for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's a there's an if then uh, kind of structure to this. We're blessed if uh, and the, the if is, if we're poor in spirit, then what do we get? The kingdom of God. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. In relationship to God, we have the Holy Spirit within us who enables us to live this life. Mm-hmm. As we live this life, we experience the kingdom, mm-hmm. the rule of God, relationship with him. We f- we find his power extending through us. And that comes not because we assert ourselves. You know, look at church history. Look at the legacy of Constantine and Tautonica, conquer mm. by this. We want to be conquerors. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, this is the complete opposite. I saw an image uh, at the Uffizi that I thought, oh, what a marvelous illustration. Mm-hmm. It was the the Lamb of God seated on the throne. Think about that. The, the bleeding sacrifice who's radiating, in this image, it was an uh, altarpiece, radiating heavenly glory. Wow. That's the counterintuitive logic of the Beatitudes. And Mm -hmm. when we follow that cruciform example, that's when we experience the power of God working through us.
0: Now, how do we—I always wonder about this. Obviously, there's a poverty of spirit that we have spiritual—we're spiritually broke. How do we come to that recognition? I mean, I think everyone is spiritually broke. Mm -hmm. Uh, What this is talking about, people who recognize they are spiritually
1: broke. Yeah. How do we come to that? I think this is central purpose of the beatitudes is to drive us to repentance, Mm -hmm. and repentance is not simply a a decision we make at the beginning of our faith at conversion, Mm -hmm. but but every day we come before the Lord with honesty, acknowledging our desperate need. You know, Luther in his first thesis of the 95 thesis says that when, when our Lord Jesus called us uh, to repent, he was describing a way of life. Mm-hmm. And so I think practically speaking, that's what it looks like. Get it, Getting up in the morning, making your cup of coffee, uh, coming before God in prayer, saying, Lord, I am needy and uh, it's only because of your promises that I can live this Christian life.
0: Yeah. Here's what you said on page 15 of the Upside Down Kingdom. To be clear, this poverty is not an impulsive plunge into destitution or a masochistic disregard of responsibility in favor of pain or failure. Neither is it the cloistered asceticism of hermits. We're not going to go live in a monastery. Mm-hmm. Rather, it is a humble and honest recognition of our spiritual bankruptcy. As the psalmist put it, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Yes. Psalm 130, verse three. That's it. It's 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 sort of a declaration of spiritual bankruptcy
1: on our own. So understanding the Church, our calling together to be one that is directed at this target, that success, what we do, on Sunday and throughout the week, is not measured by hitting certain metrics. Mm-hmm. It is, it is uh, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, defined by living life together mm-hmm. with authenticity. There's great power in telling uh, a trusted friend how you're struggling and how you need their prayers. If we relate to one another with mm-hmm. that quality of candor, I think we will realize mm-hmm. the... The presence of God so, in a new way.
0: So here's the thing. I, I think we, we do have to declare spiritual bankruptcy, but that's not the only thing. It's spiritual bankruptcy in and our of ourselves. Uh I thought about Ephesians 1 that we are blessed with every blessing in in the heavenlies, right? That's we we are rich when it comes to knowing the Messiah and all that. So spiritually we're rich. And yet the first step of achieving those riches would be to declare bankruptcy. Yes. Don't you think spiritual background there's in me, no good thing dwells, yes, that's that's what we have to come to at first. and uh, to me, uh, if you just stop there, you might as well just go hang yourself, you know I mean, but that's not where it ends,
1: yeah, and as a pastor, this is the reason I think why we see so much disillusionment mm-hmm. and despair because we have a certain conception of how God relates to us. you know we we can see him with his arms folded, his toe tapping. Waiting for us to get our act together, mm. and uh, instead, he's the father of the prodigal who yeah. comes running to us each day.
0: Yeah, uh, so I was only using a metaphor there when I said that. By the way, yeah, 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 uh, no, no, uh, fair yeah. enough. That's I right. Ju- I just want to be clear to everyone listening. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's ever a good thing. But uh, the 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 point of it is, we are not left in this poverty stricken state. Yes, uh, we are those whom the father wants to pull out of the miry clay right and and that's what the rest of the beatitudes will do for us as we study them but it's the starting point is recognizing our own poverty our own poverty of spirit and he's going to drag us out of that and make us into his sons and it's it's beautiful we're going to come right back that's chris costaldo on michael Rydelnick. we're going to talk more about the beatitudes so stay with us each week on open line with me dr michael Rydelnick. We sit around our radio kitchen table and study the scriptures together. You can become a kitchen table partner by supporting OpenLine each month. As a benefit to becoming a partner, you'll receive a bi-weekly email called a Bible study moment, where I'll share Bible study tips, answer some common Bible questions, and encourage you in your spiritual walk. Become a kitchen table partner today. Call 888-644-7122 or go to (laughs) openlineradio.org. Welcome back to Open Line. So glad that you're listening today. It's a special day here on Open Line. It's a a no-phone-call edition of Open Line. My guest is Chris Costaldo. The reason we're not taking calls is pre-recorded. Chris and I are here in the studio. We're working through the Beatitudes. He's written a book called The Upside-Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. It's one of my favorite sections. I've preached through the Beatitudes as well. Love this uh, material. And people have said to me, how can you preach a whole series with basically one verse a week? You know, there's so much in the Beatitudes. So we've already talked about blessed are the poor in spirit that deals with spiritual poverty. Now we come, Chris, to the second verse of the Beatitudes, which is Matthew 5, 4, right? Mm -hmm. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think it is. And you have a broader perspective. I think you may be right, but t- I'll tell you where it first starts. If we are spiritually bankrupt and we recognize that, that brings us to a point of repentance. And when I think of the book of James, uh, it says, uh, be miserable and mourn. This is uh, James 4, nine. Be miserable and mourn, uses the same word, and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. What is the context there? The context there in verse 8 is cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. What this is talking about is that when we come to the recognition that we are spiritually bankrupt, that no good thing dwells in me, that what we have to do is... I don't think we should walk around with glum faces and sad faces because, but there, there does come a point in our lives when, when we recognize our sinfulness, that we just mourn over it. Yeah, Uh, we're brokenhearted over it. We weep, and we weep before God. The reason we do that, we don't do that to show everyone else how, you know, how humble we are. But rather, we do that before God so that he can cleanse us. So that's one aspect of mourning, don't you think? Yeah, and I think that's the starting point. In context,
1: in fact, you know, Matthew 3, again, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Yeah. It starts with honestly confessing our sin to the Lord.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, how would you uh, proceed from there? You say you have a broader perspective about mourning. I think it
1: includes all of our suffering. Mm -hmm. So the history of interpretation of this passage focused on mourning for sin, and that gave way to the penitential system of the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, contrition is important. But um, with the Reformers and beyond, there, there's been the uh, recognition that all of life, all the pain and sorrow is of concern to mm-hmm. God. You know, Jesus wept by the side of Lazarus's tomb. Uh, poets and painters and songwriters have tried to understand the power of those two words, Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. Literary critics have analyzed that simple syntax, and yet we come up short, because the living God cares for us to that extent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's an important message for us, uh, pastorally, in in the context of life, for all of our griefs, we have a sympathetic Savior.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when we mourn, that could be... I'm trying to think about things that we mourn about, it's not just our poverty of spirit and our repentance but it's because of our sinfulness still in our this life we we we've been those of us who have put our trust in jesus we believe he died for us he rose again our sins are forgiven the penalty of sin has been removed but the presence of sin hasn't right and as a result we're going to die we have illnesses we have all sorts of, and sometimes you get a bad diagnosis what does that cause? It causes grief and mourning yeah. uh, for, for some of us. Uh, there are other issues that might cause this. What kind of things are you thinking of? Well, pastors have a front row
1: seat to suffering. Uh, it, it's a diagnosis that's terminal. It's a loss of a child. It, it's a loss of a job. Uh, and we live in a, in a moment when the, the level of anxiety and fear and depression is higher than ever. I think this promise applies in each of those situations. So
0: so the, the, the it's not like we're supposed to be mired in mourning. Right. Yeah. Uh, because there's a promise here.
1: Yeah. We, we shouldn't look like we've been sucking on lemons for a few hours or, yeah. or drinking embalming fluid. Uh Philippians, Paul, has a lot to say about joy. That's real. Yeah. Uh but but it's it's temporary. Blessed
0: are our yeah. Yeah. Right. We don't like that. Yeah. We,
1: we'd rather distract ourselves. We'll binge watch Netflix. This is giving us a category of lament. That's what we do in these moments when we're at the end of ourselves, mm-hmm. when we can't hardly lift our eyes above the horizon mm-hmm. to to see God's presence.
0: Yeah. So we lament with the promise that. By the way, the great place way to lament. By the way, is just find some lament psalms. Yeah. And. Pray those back. I think that that sometimes we don't realize the Psalms are the prayers of the Messiah. You know that's what Bonhoeffer called them. Yeah. Uh, and the the idea of lament Psalms, giving voice, helping us to express our mourning, would be very helpful. Uh, so I think that's one of the you know people say oh I don't know the Psalms sometimes are so. Obviously, the psalmists are are pained, and they express their lament. Well, really, that's to help us as well. So when we are in pain, I know that in, there have been times in my life where the only way that I could deal with the pain of what was happening is to go to the psalms and pray those lament psalms. and And that's the way to express the pain that
1: we feel. The psalms remind us that God is with us, he doesn't leave us. Mm-hmm. We, his presence abides. Uh, this came into focus for me. I write this story in the book of when I taught my son how to ride a bicycle. One of our children has severe hemophilia. Mm. When he was a baby, uh, we had a rubber pool in our living room. That's where he learned to walk because if he had fallen on the floor, it may oh, wow. very well have sent us to the ER. So now fast forward a few years, I'm gonna teach him how to ride a bike. So if we go out, he has a new shiny bike with a bell elbow pads, knee pads, He gets on it, and my arms are outstretched. I'm ready to throw myself down on the ground beside him as a paternal pillow, and we start off and back and forth, and he falls. Thankfully, no no injury. Uh, We're walking home. I'm holding his hand, and it was as though God said to me, if you love your son that much, if you're willing to sacrifice your body for him, how much more do you suppose I love you? And we have the answer to that. God demonstrated His love by giving His Son. Yeah, while we
0: while we were still sinners, right? God gave His Son.
1: Yeah, and that's the insight. That's I think what Jesus is saying when He describes comfort. Mm -hmm. He he does it personally.
0: Mm -hmm. So if we're mourning for our sin, the promise is that when we we turn in faith to Jesus, we're forgiven. That's part of the comfort. Yes. Uh, I I uh, I have a longtime friend. She was a Jewish woman from Syosset. Of course, okay, and she had had some really serious issues in her life, decisions she had made as a young woman, and for seventeen years, she said she was under the burden of guilt mm-hmm. and always was trying to figure out what to do with it and then she she had for seventeen years she carried a little pamphlet she had gotten around. Uh, someone passed out a pamphlet in Manhattan one day when she was at work, and so <laughs> she carried it in her purse, changed it from purse to purse to purse, and then finally called the number on the back. The number on the back was a friend of mine who, in a ministry in New York, and he said, well, I'm not on Long Island. Go to that congregation on Long Island. Sent her, a Jewish woman, to our congregation, and I even I met with her, and she came to faith. Uh, this Jewish woman. And the thing is, what drove her to seek Jesus was this grief that she felt for the bad decisions she had made as a younger woman. Yes. She was midlife now. She was she was living a good life, but she never could get rid of the guilt for some really bad decisions. And she was mourning and mourning and mourning over that. Yeah, And then she experienced forgiveness. She was comforted. Blessedness. I mean... That's what we're talking about, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. We can walk far away from God, but the moment we turn toward Him in repentance, He's there. Yeah. He's listening.
0: The comfort. And, you know, now it's so amazing to me when I talk with her. This is probably about 32 years after she made her faith decision now. And I, she'll, you know, she's still in New York. She gives me a call every now and then, talk about things going on in her life. Uh, you never stop being people's pastor, just so you know. But uh, the, so you you can you can go be a professor someday they're still going to call you with their with their stuff. But anyway, she always just talks about how grateful she is that she's forgiven. Mm. I look back on my life, things that I went through that weren't related to this. It was about an illness or or something like that and God is the one that always gave me the comfort to know that he's there. He's he's going to meet the need whatever it is. Yes. Which comes from those lament psalms that's the thing that i think is so cool cool we often think of the mourning without the comfort yes but the comfort comes
1: i love that yeah yeah. power of god
0: yeah we're going to uh, take a little break here and uh when we come back we're going to continue in our study of the beatitudes uh in fact what's what's coming up next is not mourning but meekness (gasps) what is that stay with us we're going to talk about meekness. This is Chris Castaldo, is with me, and I am Michael Ridelnik, and we are making our way through the Beatitudes, so don't miss out. These are great truths that will change our lives. You know, in Psalm 122, verse 6, the psalmist exhorted us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, a prayer we too often neglect. That's why Chosen People Ministries' new calendar is a great reminder to pray for Israel. This year's calendar will immerse us in the land of Israel. It will encourage us to pray. Breathtaking photos from the land and prompts heartfelt prayer. This calendar can be yours free. Since the Jewish New Year begins in the fall, the calendar runs from September of 23 through December of 2024. For your free copy of Chosen People Ministries Jewish Art Calendar, just go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org scroll down, you'll see the link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that link and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of the 2023-24 Jewish Art Calendar. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Wright and today is a special program. There's no calls. It's a pre-recorded program. My guest is Chris Costaldo, pastor or doctor, the Reverend Doctor. No, this is Chris Uh Costaldo. Pastor Chris is a pastor of a church in the western suburbs of Chicago, New Covenant Church, and he's an a dear friend, former student. I hate to. I mean, I don't want to put you down. Oh. Uh, I'm like now you're my teacher. But the the point of it is, I'm so grateful to God that you were my student. It was always fun to have you in class, and uh, I, I was grateful you said you still have the notes from a class I taught. So I do. yeah, usually students burn those, and you know effigy to take, instead of me, they just burn the students. So I'm grateful that you you found that helpful. But, uh, let's go back to the Uh, Beatitudes. And what we're talking about is verse 5, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, we'll have intrinsic joy if we're meek. Now that's one of those words that's I always think of, when I see the word meek, I think of Mr. Peterson. Now, people won't know who that is because it's showing my age, but there was a TV show in the 70s, the Bob Newhart show, and he was a therapist, and he had all these people in, and there was this guy that was just terrified of his wife, and he was just the me- meekest, most fearful man, Mr. Peterson. And and I always think of, well, that's does that God, what God wants us to be? Does he want us to be meek? Tell me about that word.
1: Yeah, I think we often hear it that way, confuse it with weakness. They sound mm-hmm. similar. But meekness is simply strength governed by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a central issue today in contemporary life. How do we properly use power? Uh, at whose expense is power exercised? Uh, the Bible says we receive power from on high. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a calling here to steward power, carefully.
0: But the Beatitudes... Well, uh, let me just jump on ahead, and then we'll come back to the Beatitudes here. Uh, If you look up the word in Greek for meek, it was used in literature of the, in the Koine Greek period, of a horse that's been tamed. Hmm. So a powerful horse, you know, my friend says horses just want to kill you if they get a chance, you know, but... uh, I don't think that's really true. Horse lovers don't get mad at me, but uh, the the point of it is that horses are very powerful, but yet they can be tamed, and they could be considered what this word says, meek or gentle, right? And and so it's strength, power, under control. Uh, I'm gonna my illustration of this. I have a sixty pound boxer. He is as powerfully built. I, when he's sniffing something and I want to keep walking, I don't have the strength to schlep him away, to drag him away from whatever he's sniffing. He is he's really strong and he is powerful and he's scary looking because he's a boxer. He looks like a bulldog, you know. And uh, my, when my granddaughter was one years old, she was sitting on the floor next to him. He always was watching her. He's sticking with her all the time. And she stands up. She's just learning how to stand. She was about a year old. And she immediately starts to fall. So she grabs a hold of his ear and squeezes as hard as she can to keep and falls down and yanks him down. And I I just start to run over because even the best dog would would not want to have his ear pulled like that and might bite, you know. And as I'm running over across the kitchen to go save. He just looks at me with this like, well, she's a baby. What can she do? You know? His strength was utterly under control. Mm. That's a meek
1: dog. Not not what we think of. Right. So what does that look like for us now as we approach another election, for example? Uh, I was in Naples, Italy, on this trip, and I saw an image that I think conveys this. It was a bust of Batman, The Dark Knight... (laughs) With the sacred heart in, far, of Je- in, in, in Naples. Naples, yeah. okay. You know, this is in Italy, yeah. yeah. And in his chest was the sacred heart of Jesus. Oh, wow. Uh, this is a picture of post-secularism. So Batman is, of course, the <laughs> ultimate secular hero. Uh, he's got no supernatural power. He has a utility belt. He's yeah. got a grappling hook, right? Uh, a bag of tricks. But inside of him is this heart for Jesus. And I thought... Boy, if that doesn't describe many evangelicals today, we have a heart for Jesus. But when we consider how to engage public life, we're more like Batman. <laughs> we, 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 we want to conquer, right? It's a zero-sum game. Yeah. There's the enemy, the cultural other. We need to defeat that person. Mm-hmm. The Beatitudes challenges that approach. Wow. that's exactly right.
0: Yeah, uh, strength under control. You know, it's amazing... I think it's so crucial if we can have friends that people that we that are not followers of Jesus. How else will we win them unless we make friends with them? But if if we're just always coming down on their political views or on their spiritual perspectives, if we're if we're pounding them all the time instead of pointing them to the one who can really give them meaning and significance and forgiveness, that that's a big difference, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, but we tend to want to win every argument. Win every I'm fight. afraid so. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and and it's missionally disastrous.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's it's uh, what a difference to think about strength under control. Think about who called himself meek mm-hmm. in the Book of Matthew. Uh, in Matthew 11, this is what Jesus says about himself. Let's see. I'm turning always. I always think of this passage because he uses the word of himself, and of course, the Greek word is used in the Septuagint of Moses, right? Um, Moses, who, who I don't often think of as a meek guy, you know, he's the one that punched out the, uh, the Egyptian uh, taskmaster and, and uh, actually had to flee Egypt because of that, it says, this is what Jesus says of himself, uh, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle. That's the same word. Yeah, I am gentle. And humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. He doesn't beat us up, does he? Right.
1: So, what does this look like for us in traffic? Yeah, <laughs> we both right. drove here this morning, right? <laughs> yeah. Or what does it look like on social media? Yeah, where where we are anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, meekness should be the leading edge of how we relate to others. Yeah, yeah. And then
0: the the thing is, we think of uh, Leo DeRocher, uh nice guys finish last. Mm-hmm. I think he would say. Meek people finish last. But that's not what Jesus says.
1: Yeah, Jesus was crucified. Yeah, So one might point the finger and say, well, there you have it, exhibit A. And we say, but he was raised from the dead. And exalted. And he he lives. Yeah, up
0: to the right hand of the Father. Here's what it says here in Matthew 5.5. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle. Why? They shall inherit the earth. If we trust God in everything, he'll give us everything. Yeah, that's it. We, in any circumstance, when we trust God, He gives us everything. Wow. I think that's so, so crucial to remember. Well, uh, we're going to come back with a second hour. This is the first hour of Open Line. There's a second hour. We're going to complete the Beatitudes. My guest is Chris Costaldo. Don't miss out on the second hour. If your station doesn't carry Open Line second hour, then some of them don't. You can listen online or you can listen on the Moody Radio app or the podcast. Check out our webpage. OpenLineRadio.org has all the links you're looking for, past programs, and even how to become a kitchen table partner or to get our current resource. OpenLine with Dr. Michael Rydelnick is a production of Moody Radio, a
1: ministry of Moody Bible Institute.